0: Welcome to the good, the bad, and the sequel Q&A. My name's Doug. So, the next sequel that we're going to be reviewing, it's a no-brainer. Friday is a Friday the 13th, and we are reviewing Friday the 13th, final chapter, or is it? And the interview for this one is so, so amazing. I'm so happy. Not only that I got to interview another casting director but that I interviewed a legendary casting director in Fern Champion. Fern, local. I grew up in New Jersey, still in Jersey. She's from Brooklyn, still has the Brooklyn in her, even though she's out in California. And Fern casted so many of my favorite movies, your favorite movies. Just think, Friday the 13th, Part Four, Five, Six, Police Academies, 1 through 5. She also did... Breaking and breaking two electric boogaloo the mask. Oh my God. So many. I'll put her IMDB in the episode notes so you could see all of them. You're going to be floored. And she has some amazing stories. So many names that she was the one that casted them in their early roles. And that's what I love about talking to casting directors because they have to know everyone when they're casting for a movie. So I'm going to shut my yapper and you're going to love hearing the stories by this legendary casting director. Don't call her a veteran. You'll hear that in the interview, Fern Champion. You are live. I'm so live. How you doing?
1: I'm okay. I mean, just put the makeup on. You look great. Oh, and so do you.
0: Uh,
1: I did no makeup. Oh, I thought you had your lashes on and just so sorry. <laughs>
0: I do have really long lashes, so that's good because my daughter will get those. So
1: the bottom line is, all you guys have great lashes. That's what's really obnoxious. <laughs> I mean, my son is constantly trying to pull his out because he said, "Oh my god, everybody wants my lashes."
0: <laughs> yeah, like your mother. <laughs> so Fern, where did you grow up? I, everywhere I looked online, I couldn't find out like where you grew up. Then you're looking under the
1: wrong fern. Because all over, you will see. Oh, really? You, yes. Um, You can take the girl out of Brooklyn.
0: Oh, but nice. you can
1: take Brooklyn out of the girl.
0: I guess that, that you're from New York.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, I had a great growing up back East. I really did. My dad owned a big nightclub on the Upper East Side, and my mom was a fashion model. And I had nightlife, and um, I loved it. I loved it. I really did. Very cool parents, and they adored each other.
0: And they were good-looking, too. Good-looking, too? (laughs) Yeah. So so what made you, like, how did you get to casting? What was the journey to get there? Well, I started in fashion, uh,
1: boutique-wise. And the way I compare it, really, is putting together an ensemble. Clothes, okay? You've got all the accessories and all that jazz. The same with putting together a film, a TV series. You're getting together an ensemble. No, that doesn't work. No, let me change that. You know, so I think they're very similar in that respect. They're colorful. (laughs) Sometimes a piece just doesn't work, and that's either in the fashion or on the screen.
0: <laughs> right. So, so the first thing you worked on was Saturday Night Fever. Um. Well, my former husband, when
1: um, when I was in fashion, I would go to the sets, and he was in casting and producing, and oh, okay. and I loved it. But I would say I think Saturday Night Fever was probably pretty much the beginning of my entity. <laughs> oh, you know, and I came in really through the back room because there was another director on board, and he left the project, and then John came on, uh, Batham, and um, and he and I got along really well, and a lot of the casting was done, but you know, I walked in, you know, with Franny Drescher, Franny Drescher and Denny Dillon, and you know, so my my life was in Bay Ridge hanging with Joe Kelly and Barry Miller and, you know, Paul Pape and just dancing. I mean, it was just, and my mom lived close by and we would bring her white castles. I mean, it was a trip. And of course, you know, John was and is a spectacular personality and a dancer. It was awesome.
0: It was really awesome, truly. So you knew Fran Drescher beforehand just from being in New York?
1: No. Well, you know, not really. You know, um, she was acting and I was doing supporting roles. And, you know, you come across that and stuff like that. But, you know, you just have those gold nuggets back east. Yeah. You know, then I'm not going to out anybody now because they're all over the world. Yeah. But um back then a New York actor was pretty
0: special. Yeah, and every everybody went there. Like I talked to William Sadler and he was right. just and I've talked to other people from that era, like the late 70s, early eighties. And like everybody right. used to flock to Broadway and then they would go to film. Now it's like a different route, it seems. But
1: you know something I, I must say that. During the horse and buggy days, as you're speaking about, (laughs) there was only one union back East. There was the Screen Actors Guild. So even though we didn't have a Screen Extras Guild like they did here. Yeah. We only had actors. Actors that wanted to be on a set and not only in class. So they would take these smaller roles. no minor roles, no small roles, only small actors, right? Yeah. Um, So they would take anything just to be working with Sidney Lumet and Alan Pakula and the New York guys, you know, And uh, uh, so I can go on and on. So my actors back East were actors. Yeah. They weren't background. They made a scene work directors didn't have to be concerned about saying, um, Brian, that would be Dennehy, can you pick up that line? Brian did some, you know we all they all did. yeah. And then Broadway was good and bad. People that were very theatrical sometimes couldn't bring it down. And that's what they ran into out here. They were bigger than life yeah so they needed to be taught a smaller
0: scale. So where'd you used to scout for talent? Like when, how long were you in New York? Like how soon did you leave New York and go out to Hollywood?
1: Well, I grew up in Brooklyn and, uh, you know, apartments in Manhattan Yeah, and working with background casting. That was, you know, to the 2000 Hmm. BC. Yeah. I started that. Yeah. (laughs) No, but um, how long, a long time. Yeah. Uh, Listen, I was working with Sidney Lumet. Um, Sidney, he's got me really started with network and, and just coming to the set and doing the small roles and then going to Washington and doing all the president's men's small casting. Wow. So when you talk about Saturday Night Fever, I was a kid going to these massive sets <gasps> and doing background work with actors, but it, I, who cared, you know? So I got my, my, my teeth. Is that what they call it? Cut your teeth, I think I, it is. I cut my teeth with the likes of President's men, Saturday, And I still had the fashion going, but wow, you, I, listen, I learned about Watergate <laughs> by yeah. being on the set. <laughs> I had no idea that it was just an apartment building to begin with. Are you kidding me? And then you watch Robert Redford and Dustin Hoffman and Hal Holbrook. Are you kidding? As a kid? As a 20-year-old kid? Oh. So, yes. But Sidney Lumet, I did the whiz with him as well. Wow. And he didn't want me to leave New York. But um, I met Mr. Stigwood. And working on Saturday Night Fever, he asked me to come out and do this little small movie called Sergeant Pepper hello right and i went check please so i came to la not hungry
0: yeah no so that's great that's one thing i've only talked to one other casting director and his credits the the length of time doing it not doesn't even compare to yours but one thing that's the same is you've worked on like sergeant peppers i i wonder why for casting directors they don't there's not some kind of credit anywhere for that. Cause I couldn't find that on your IMDb because that's, well, awesome. then I
1: would look like I was 197 years old.
0: No, it would just look like, you oh, no, come on, lot.
1: let's be honest. No, you've got to, you've got to relinquish the ball a little bit. <laughs> I like my, my recent credits. I don't have to go digging down to say, Oh, and I did. Oh my no, God. I when I, so the truth is if I'm going to do, uh, well, for my sons, they just love the fact I did Tommy and Cheech's movies. Yes. You know, but you know, by the time they grew up, they looked at me and I went, Yeah, I was young, I needed the work and but I had the best time. Yeah. You know, so my credits coming here, I didn't think to do anything outside of Saturday Night Fever, which brought me here. You know? And you know, and, and there are articles that Sydney was responsible for me really learning and falling in love with a director that I I don't know if there's anyone like him. Yeah. I mean, he was just a gem. I shouldn't say it like that. Of course there's wonderful directors and I've worked with them. Yeah. Also with some of them that are not so wonderful. (laughs) I bet. Yeah. But you know something? I like my credits that still are current. I have no qualms about saying I was nominated for the Hatfields and McCoys. Oh, yeah, that's awesome. Okay, that was – so you know something? I thank you, but it's, it's cool. I got enough going on recently.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so one thing I think it's always cool, even when you look at movies with like certain directors, but I think it's more like the casting director, there's people that you like, that you knew would show up, do their job, the director wouldn't have to worry about because there's it's funny when you look at police academy a lot of that cast you've cast it before like the ones that i noticed like right off the bat were like gutenberg who were the other ones winslow and bruce Mahler. well bruce Mahler was around the same year as final chapter so i don't know what came first I can't
1: say that I had cast Winslow before.
0: I saw it on your IMDb. Maybe somebody else did for a movie, but it was a movie before. Oh, but
1: what happened was I was casting Police Academy 1. Yeah. All of a sudden, outside, and I was on the lot of Paramount at that point, even though it was a Warner Brother movie. And very quickly, all of a sudden, I started hearing jungle noises outside of my window. Oh, true story. And I went out, I went outside to my sister. I said, do, do you hear a monkey? And, you know, they sort of looked at me because I'm, I'm certifiable. You know, I am the oldest living juvenile delinquent, but I, I and she said, no, Fern, I don't hear a monkey. I don't know. I, I must have heard." Walk back inside. All of a sudden I hear a tiger. All of a sudden I hear a cannon. Oh, and I, and I walk back out. I said, something's going outside. Something is happening outside. And, She said, no, Fern, you're just, this fellow is waiting to meet you. I said, what's your name? He said, Michael Winslow. I said, what do you do? And as I turned to walk in the door in back of me, he's got his sound effects. And I turned around, I said, it's you. (laughs) I said, that was you doing all those sound effects. And the rest is history. I called Paul Maslansky. I said, I don't know who he is, but we have to put him in the movie." And that's sort of how it started, you know. Meeting David Spade, Mitzi Shore would call me. Fern, you gotta come over to the store. There's this great guy. He's going on. Mitzi, it's one in the. Mo- I don't care. His name is Bobcat. You gotta see him. Okay, Mitzi, Fern, you gotta see this guy. I don't know, he's a cute little blonde guy. He's got the longest tongue I've ever seen. I said, oh, Mitzi, this is what, his name is David Spade. Oh, okay. And that's how, you know, and, and Bud Freeman was the same way. Bud and Mitzi were my, my extensions. Wow. I lived at the store and the improv. When I was with Tommy and Cheech, we were at the Grandling's. Look at the first. We had that first group. It was, you know, it was, it was Paul Rubens Peewee. Wee. Yep. It was Phil Hartman. It was Suzanne Kent. I mean, that was the original Groundling group, and they, Edie McClurg, they were our, you know, um, ensemble for the three movies that we did together. Yeah. You know. So I, I love my career.
0: I do. I love Edie. um, I'm helping actor Larry Hankin put together his memoirs and him and Edie are so tight from before she was doing the Groundlings when she was out in San Francisco doing improv. Her and Larry are still great friends today. So she like every so often like is in like his video sketches that he does like his short films. Wow.
1: Yeah, it was quite, it was quite an arena because, you know, Tommy and Cheech didn't have a script. Yeah. They really didn't. And when you look at the, even the police academy, it was a blueprint. I think most scripts, comedy or, you know, drama are blueprints. Somehow when you find an actor, if it, and I never have colored inside the box, you know, it, it's never been my way. That wasn't the way I was brought up. You know, so with Paul, with Maslansky, we would just take a look at the Bobcat. What do you do with Bobcat? Excuse me? You just create a role. Yeah. You just make that happen. What do you do with Spade? I don't know. You just make that happen. You know, So Winslow, you just tell him whatever sound effect you can come up with. Just go for it. Marion Ramsey was the other one. Oh, the you know, listen, I had above the Smith.
0: Are you kidding me? Bubba was my. Boy. How did Bubba come about? Like, was he already in mind for that movie, or was it in the script? As- no, no, just a big guy. Yeah. Listen, I can look at
1: both two sides of the coin. coin. I had Bubba Smith, who you love, yeah, and then Naked Gun, I had O.J. Simpson, yeah. So there's good and bad. <laughs> But you know that's what I mean. You color outside of the box. Yeah. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it
0: doesn't. And Bubba was like the nicest guy. He Lance told me, I think they were for, I think it was the Miami one. It was his son's birthday, and Bubba like, like I don't know if he sang happy birthday for him, but he like did all these like nice things for the kid. And it was like so cool. Like Lance is like, as they said, that was like a summer camp. The formula for those movies was like. All right, we'll see you in, you know, eight months. And then next year, see you in eight months. And it's like really the greatest comedy franchise of all time. Really?
1: I think so. Uh, thank, well, I'm going to say thank you. And, But uh, they've tried to redo it. They keep threatening that they will. But it's very funny. Paul never wanted it to be raunchy. Yeah. He wanted, well, whether or not it was slapstick humor, but he just didn't want it to get dirty. And that was Maslansky. He stopped it each time New Line wanted to try to do it again or try it again. And so I, I think that as long as Maslansky's around, unless they come up with a pretty decent, fun script, he's yeah. are going to do it. You know? I can tell you something. In the middle of the night, you know, all of a sudden I'll see it and I'll go, oh, wow. I had a great time. I did. Listen, between Sharon Stone... And Kim
0: Cattrall, I had some hot looking women too. Yes. Let's not and I can't think of her name right now. And God, the lady that's in all of them, she was like one of oh, my first. Leslie crushes.
1: Easterbrook. Leslie Easterbrook. Yes. Are you kidding? Are you Callie? I mean Callie. Are you kidding? She's still a bud. She's still a bud. G.W. Bailey. Come on. Yes. These were cartoons. These were people doing a cartoon, and you loved them
0: him and lance had like such a great chemistry it was unbelievable how they worked together
1: all of them you know i lost a lot of my original players yeah which is very bizarre and not to waste not waste not to uh, sad it really was because they were all so full of life yeah so i love you all make god laugh
0: I must say, Fern, you have like the distinction of working on most of the time when movies get past even like the third or fourth, they usually become terrible, but you've worked on six entries in series. Like you got to think about it. Like Jason lives is one of the great, well, you worked on really two, two of the ones you worked on out of the three that you worked on are like two of the best Friday the 13th movies ever. Uh huh. Uh huh. <laughs> how'd they convince? how they convince you to do horror? Because you seem not saying you wouldn't like horror, but you're very. I think you love comedy a lot more. You know, I. You need to be challenged, and I say it to my
1: actors also. Doing the same thing. Don't get me wrong. I never got bored with comedy, and yeah. I still don't get bored with comedy. And I and I love humor, especially in this past. 15, 18 months. Yeah. You needed your humor badly. But I have you have to stay in the game. You know, and, and I needed to stay in the game. So I I they were throwing me every silly script. And I kept saying to Fern, which is me, yeah, you need to jump out. You need to go do something else. And the, really, they weren't offering me these big epic dramas. So I needed to just okay. Let's get into Friday the Thirteenth. I'm in, and again, it's another ensemble of unknowns. Let's just create some, you know, new fun. Um, so it was challenging to do Pet Cemetery, the yes. original. Are you kidding me? April Fool's Day. Yeah. You know, and I see them all being done again, and it's like, wow. So I'm happy with the ones that are. So when you say, how come I didn't pull back my East Coast credits? Yeah. I got plenty (laughs) of you. I I know, I know.
0: No, I'm not being rude. I'm sorry. No, you're not at all. So like for the people, like like you said, like when you find like a bunch of unknowns, which is so cool, like Fade to Black, like Mickey Rourke, Buddy Buddy, which I watched the other night. Great movie. Uh, A young Ed Begley. So it's so cool. Watch it. Looking at... Your IMDb, especially because you're responsible for bringing these people in and just not even looking at the top, which those are people you're responsible for, too. But finding those people on the that have the small roles that later on went on to do monster things, I think that's the most fascinating thing about casting. I don't disagree. You know, um, when
1: uh, we started doing The Mask um, and originally... Not many people know Robin Williams was the original person to do the mask.
0: I didn't know that.
1: Well, well, why would you? Because I think it was, I'm going to say dead poets, that he too needed to jump out of the arena of insanity and and go for the dramatic to show he is an actor. And so where do you go from there? I mean, uh, mm hmm. How about the white guy in Living Color? That was Jim. Because to this day, I don't know anybody that could do the mask. No. Two in my lifetime, Robin and Jim. But then you go and try to find this lady. And Chuck Russell originally wanted, she was the guest girl, uh, Nicole... She she died a terrible death. Um, oh, what are you talking about? The model, Anna Nicole Smith. Anna Nicole Smith, and and he that's he was driven. He wanted her, and I would go. Please shoot me. Somebody shoot me. Don't get me wrong. She was gorgeous. She was gorgeous at that point. But the good news is, after I did Naked Gun, they wanted to do a sequel. And I said, yeah, no, 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 Naked gun for me is one in, one out. And they offered her naked gun. I think it was 33 and third. Yeah. And she took it. She took it. And she was no longer available. Praise the Lord. Enter Cameron Diaz after hundreds, hundreds of women. Wow. I mean, Chuck was mortified. He was, I mean, that was it. She was his Jessica Rabbit. But finding Cameron, the women adored her and the men idolized her. Yep. And she had done nothing. She was, she was a model. She came in. Chuck said no to her. Then months later, he said, what, about, what happened to that girl? I said, she's in Europe. She's modeling. He said, yeah, there was something to her. And the rest, you know, not to bore you with the rest of the details. Wow. But Cameron, Cameron was the it. Oh, Cameron was my son's bar mitzvah date as the it girl. Oh, what? yeah. Cameron, Cameron's a, a Cameron. There's nobody better than Cameron. Oh, that's and terrible. then I tried to get her to do Mortal Kombat. Oh, that's the others. And then so then I go into that. Yeah. I go into tech and I go into Mortal Kombat. So you keep saying
0: comedy, but I'm very eclectic. Oh, I know that's what I mean. I'm saying that was like I think that if you look at your, I'm like your, journey like uh, friday the 13th was the Stupid crazy yeah yeah mortal Kombat. wow i can see you're a sonia blade <laughs> your kids must have loved you it's so cool because they love they love. well they love you anyway but cheech and mm-hmm. chong and then like oh mortal combat that must have been right your son is my age right 33
1: 34 right exactly but yeah. they got me the movie because i got the interview uh, after the mask, they wanted to come in and it's an, it's a, a video game. Uh, it's called Mortal Kombat and come in. Now I knew the name because my two sons, 32 and 33, yeah. you can get them away from the television. I don't have to tell you, you were in front of your own. Yep. And he said, all right, Spencer, Sean, I need to talk to you. Tell me about these characters. And And they did. And I walked in for the interview and basically said to Larry Kazanoff, who produced, I said, do not screw up these characters because your audience will know. Yeah. And I went through Katana and Shang Tsung and Sub-Zero. Yes. I was prepared. Awesome. And he said, you play the games? I said, no, but I have a seven, eight and eight year old that do. <laughs> you know, was like, right? And, I, and he said, you really did your homework. And I said, that's why I'm saying, please have my sons come in and tell you what you shouldn't do. And they were on the set. Oh, they were. What? And they, I mean, yeah. And, awesome. all, and all the guys came to their birthday parties.
0: Are you kidding? I ruled. I rocked. And you already had a cool relationship with, again, another person. I'm sure when you went through the characters, or you're like, all right, I know who's playing Raiden. Because Lambert, you cast it in before, yes, yes,
1: and he's a sexy man,
0: he really was,
1: and nobody could do it like you, he- and you know, Remar did it in annihilation, yeah, and I love Remar. I loved him as Dex's father, oh, but yeah. I didn't love him as much as Christophe Lambert. it was just something special to mortal combat, it really was it was it was quite and, and carried to gawa. Who else could have been Shang Tsung? I know. Soul is mine. Come on. So, yeah. So I love what I do.
0: Oh, man, that's so awesome. I just love that you, you can have that from the like from the experience, like doing the other movies, like, like, oh, I knew it was perfect for this role. And then you really, I'm not saying you don't interview other people or audition other people, but sometimes you probably look at a role or you just read it or you figure out and you're like, boom, I know who. Should be that you know.
1: Yes, there are. You're absolutely right. There are the times that you say nobody else, and you got to do that. But I'm not really good at recycling. I'm really not. Um, And unless it it's a total departure, in other words, I think all comics, not all, most all, comedians are terrific dramatic actors. You know, if you look at Danny Ackroyd and you looked at Rob and, you know, and Steve Martin, you just look at the, the greats, okay? Jim Carrey. You challenge them by putting them in an arena of drama. Look at Danny, driving Miss Daisy, sneakers. I mean, there are, Rob, you know, I don't have to sell credits on these folks, yeah. but these comedians, if if I'm doing a dramatic piece, I, I'll go after. I'll ask Jim. Jim, this is a role for you. But to recycle them is not fun. Yeah. I like. I I need to be entertained too. You know I do. Um. And doing it for wonderful years that I'm doing. I I really like my actors too. This has been a tough year not seeing them in my office. Yeah. It really yeah. has. And I've been very fortunate that. I've worked the entire pandemic for a lifetime doing wonderful movies for the two Jakes, urban movies. Yeah. And another yeah. arena, you know, that I've, you know, come into. I did the Seven Deadly Sins. I did Lust. I didn't, but these are actors that I didn't, I wasn't privy to. So for me to constantly
0: just keep searching. Yeah. And you're learning, you're trying something different. That's always good to do every so often. So you're right. I think so.
1: And, and meeting new people. It's fun. I don't love Zooming. I really don't. No, I don't know. I shouldn't say that. No, Zooming is fine. I don't like the self tapes.
0: Oh, I bet. Yeah. No, I understand.
1: Yeah, self tapes. I can't say, stop. Wait, stop. Stop the camera. Don't do it. Don't do that. Just talk to me. You know, Yeah. I have to wait until I got the self tape. And then I go, oh shoot, nah. I, and then I say, could you have your actor call me? And I don't want to tell the agent. I want to get the actor on the phone because that's a little bit more of like them being in my room.
0: Yeah, no, totally. I, I miss
1: in my room, I do.
0: So, Fern, you're talking about like the ground groundlings and like Mitzi and going to the store like in the '80s. What? What? Obviously, this is a question pre-pandemic. Where was? What were, where were you able to find those type of people? Were you still going to the store or now is it like looking for people that are like social media influencers or like YouTube?
1: I know that social networking is, is very huge. I do know that. And it's been very helpful at times. Um, I did work for Awesomeness TV and they were very big with the social influences. It's it just, it, it, they're not for me. Yeah, um, I think what they do is, gosh, go get that money, go get that product, go branding, and this—that's just not in my arena. Yeah, for my actors, they, I'm sure there's a chosen few that can make the transfer into, but I really would prefer going over to Citizens' Brigade, Second City, nice. talking. Yeah, you know, that's my beat in it. Listen, my next door neighbor is a stand-up, and he's always at the laugh factory. So I'm at the I'm going to the laugh factory. I'm gonna go see Vinny Fastline and he's gonna show me new people. So I'm still in the game. Nice. You know, Harry Basil runs it in in the laugh factory in Vegas. So if I'll fly into Vegas if Harry says, Come on up. I've worked with Harry. We did the Rodney Dangerfield movies
0: together. Ah, oh, nice. So
1: yeah. So, I'm still, my heart is, is comedic.
0: Good. No, it's good that people still do that because I, I, I agree with you. Like, when it comes to comedic co- uh, comed- stand up comedians, they can obviously be funny. But I think because they're able to show that emotion on stage and really, you know, stand up comedy is like just opening up to being real with an audience. So, you're like being so vulnerable doing that. So, if you could do that, you could be vulnerable when it comes to like a dramatic role.
1: I think so, you know, uh, although there are the, the ones that do stand-up comedy that can't make that transfer either. Oh, I agree. They, they know their timing when they write their own material, you know, and listen, doing Full House, you know, the, the pilot. I did the pilot on Full House. Oh, wow. So between, you know, and Dave Coulier, I mean, he's probably one of the best men around. And, of course, Saget and, and, and Stamos, what a trio. What a trio I had. But, you know, those are the ones, well, John wasn't a stand-up, but between Saget and Couillet, those were the ones that could do, you know, the transfer. Um, there are many that, that can't, that cannot. And that's tough, you know. And you try, but yeah. sometimes it doesn't work.
0: And I saw Coolie, He was in one of your early casting too, in like the early '80s, in like a no-name kind of role. I always think, like I said before, I think that's so cool when you have these people that you th- saw something in enough to give them, you know, that 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 chance. So here's a question Uh-oh. I have to ask about Uh-oh. because you worked for Canon for a number <laughs> of years. Yes, I yeah.
1: wanted to learn how to break dance. That's the only reason I did it. Really. Shrimp and Shabadoo? Are you kidding? Take this little Jewish kid from Brooklyn and put her on Venice and, and introduce her to Shrimp and Shabadoo? Yeah. I'm in. Listen, I did the whiz. I can do Shrimp and Shabadoo in yeah. Venice. So why not? I mean, yeah. you know, I still surrounded them with some, you know, pretty decent actors, but they were great. They were great. Yeah. You know, I think, I, I think. Working with Menachem was not the easiest, but it was all right, you know, and, and it took me into another arena. That's what I mean. It, it really, I I need to be challenged, you know? Oh, yeah. I'm not really good at getting bored. Are you laughing?
0: No, I no, I, I agree with that. Trying different things and open. And I think another distinction you have is you worked on, I think the only time in history, I don't know. I'm sure maybe like maybe with streaming now, that might be different, but breaking and breaking Two both came out in the same year. That's right. That's crazy. I, 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 I thank you. Yeah. But it was fun.
1: You know, it was open auditions, watching terrific young people. That's dancing. That's like they're, they're, they're trapeze artists. I mean, they would fly in the air, and they, uh, and this was the beginning. I mean, so I was on the ground floor watching this. You know, the right now I'm I'm watching rappers do what Shrimp and Shabba do did in the nineties. Yeah, so I like that. I still am responsible for the longest running miniseries, thirty six hours of war and remembrance.
0: Oh yeah,
1: that's the longest still. To this day,
0: you have a lot of records. I you know, because I interviewed uh Sam Furstenberg, director of Breaking Two, and that's what I said to him. He said they did this movie because he had a relationship from Israel with, with awesome. yeah. So he with Golden Globus, right? He, yep. So he uh said they came up to him because he just did his first movie Revenge of the Ninja. And they're like, Hey, Breaking did really good, so we're gonna do Breaking Two, and we want you to do it. And he was like, Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly.
1: Well, you know, us Jews and those Israelis being part of the tribe, you know, they, they hang with the family, you know, they do. So God bless. They you know, but, um, it wasn't my most favorite, but I, I liked the actors.
0: I did. I did. Was it just that it was on a shoestring budget and everything had to be
1: quicker? I think cause I was outside of an office and I was watching young adults dance, but it wasn't dancing, whatever it was. It was just wild and spinning on the floor. Like I'm saying,
0: yeah,
1: that's what started all of this. So, you know, God bless Michael Jackson and God bless some of these people, you know, but right, shrimp and do That was the street dance. Yep, that was street dancing. And he, I, it was never duplicated. It was raw. It was great. And so were they. Kids from the streets having a good time.
0: Yeah. And you think about it afterwards, I'm sure there were so many movies that try to replicate that, maybe. But really, if you think about it, it's like when it comes to that genre, it's like breaking, breaking two. And then years <laughs> later, they did the, uh like the, Channing Tatum movie, The Dancing in the Whatever. I don't know, Step Up. Those are like the yeah. only dancing movies, like ever, that people really know, but it's more breaking and breaking to Electric Boogaloo. How can you beat that yeah. name?
1: Right. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Dance movies, you know, you look at it, it, there's like a handful. Yeah. It's difficult. You know, um, even, listen, Dirty Dancing will never get old. Yeah. But you know, let's be honest. I,
0: but, it's a handful. It is a handful. That and spoof movies, because I think they're so hard to do. There really there was a lot of spoof movies, but there's not there's only like a handful you really remember that stick out, like the naked gun, which you were part of, the Mel Brooks movies. And right. really there's not that you many That can be pretty
1: brilliant. You know, the Zucker brothers, the Mel Brooks of the world, Jim Carrey, Robin Williams. There aren't, it's not a plethora of that soul, that type of person. These are just, it's (laughs) Mork. It's just, no, there's really not. You know, so when you find it, you capsulize on it. But I must tell you, the one, and I think someone once told me that the biggest money makers still are, I'm going to use the term mob movies, mafia movies. Listen, there's nothing better than The Godfather. Nothing. And, you know, and and, and now they're making um, a mini series, a oh, mini series, a limited series of the making of The Godfather. Oh, wow. And Al Ruddy, who's a very dear friend of mine, produced and um So you're going to have Bob Evans and you're going to have Francis, you know, and you're going to have these people. And it's it's quite a story. But that's something to be said. I love mob movies. You know, my dad was part of that group and I love going down to Little Italy. Oh, come on, Carmine's. Give me a break. This was the best. These are the most colorful people ever. Yeah. You know. Clowns in a circus and mafia people. These are the best people.
0: You want to stay on their good side. Yeah, no, that is true. <laughs> when I was looking at like all the movies, and I was trying to think of like casting like difficulties, and it was great. That Cameron Diaz story was really cool. But like when you're casting for like the Oscar Pastoria story, how hard is it when you know what your canvas looks like? To like when you're auditioning people, are you going like yourself? Like this has got to be exactly looking like him. Like, how does that? Yes. Plus he had a bad leg. As we know, bad legs.
1: Uh, You know, so we had to get somebody that um, we did try to have people that were, but they weren't strong enough for the role. Yeah. So whoever we got was going to have to train. Very seriously, to not make the audience feel offended. So that was a difficult. Should we go with you know prosthetics? Should we go and we tried. You know, we we're. I mean, there are auditions that we did try. So you know, I could never get um hurt by that because we did. Yeah. I t- I took people calling and and I was seeing and self taping, but again even his girlfriend, she was a top model. She was a magnificent model. So finding her. So that duo, that was hard. That was really, really hard. But, you know, another challenge. Yeah, That's the challenge. Why not? When I'm asked to do, again, Hatfields, I said to Leslie Greif, the producer, I said, are you out of your mind? Have you seen my credits? I'm known for Cheech and Chong and Police Academy. (laughs) He said, Fern, you did the biggest miniseries called War and Remembrance. Those were Germans. So if you can't cast a cowboy, I don't know what you can do. I said, I'm in. He said, you want to talk yourself out of a, a movie? Fine. But then, and I say it a lot, if you have a tremendous script, and then you bring on a man by the name of Kevin Costner. You don't even have to call out. <laughs> you know, and it, and if you look at Kevin, you just say, build it and they will come. Yes. And that's what happened. I mean, I have to tell you something. Working with Kevin, and it was just... Kevin Reynolds, who directed it as well, who I adore. But sitting in that room, the actors, i, I honestly, and again, finding actors that didn't act before. Um, and it was just, and I said to Leslie, I said, if we want the women to tune in to a bunch of unattractive people of the Hagfields and McCoys, I said, <laughs> we have to have some handsome men, rough them up, but make them cowboys. And he said, I forgot you were on staff with Aaron spelling. Yes. We can have some handsome men, (laughs) but, but, (laughs) but it's true. And, and we had quite an audience with that. Yeah. It was pretty spectacular.
0: And Kevin, just him as obviously I've never met him, but just from hearing stories about him and, New Jersey's own when Whitney Houston passed away. I never knew like he spoke at her funeral and his story that he told, I was just like, wow, he was like, so set on her for the bodyguard. I think she had to go on tour or record an album and she couldn't get out of it. So he was like, it's okay. We'll just wait. So they like put this production that was already in, waited just to have her. And I was like, wow. And that connection all those years later, he's in New Jersey, twenty something years later, you know, speaking at a funeral. Absolutely. Kevin is a
1: politician. Kevin is one of the best politicians, but when he wants someone that, you know, you can't get, you you, you reach that level. He's worked hard to get there. Yeah. But when you're there, you pay homage. And if he says he wants to wait, You'll wait. <laughs> you'll wait. I mean, really, you know, there aren't many. Brad Pitt, you'll wait. George Clooney, you wait. <laughs> you know? But again, Leo, Leo, yeah. you don't even have to say his last name. It's like Cher. Leo, yeah. Brad, George. I mean, come on. Yeah. It's, but there aren't a lot. There aren't a lot. So working with Kevin was pretty spectacular.
0: Yeah. I loved my cast. Oh, yeah? That's cool. Yeah, I did. And so a few more questions, because I don't want to keep you too, too long. How long are the process are you involved in? Like, you, you cast everybody, they're in their roles. Are you on set for a while, or?
1: Again, it all varies.
0: Yeah, I'm sure. I think if
1: it was a set, well, four weeks on, and then you're done. It's punching a clock, you know, it's punching a time card. So, th- the glamour and the excitement to me is one day is never the same as the next. So, to be honest, I never know. <laughs> of course, you'll have a contract, you know, it's six weeks, and that's it, and there's that. You know, but then, well, it's a little longer than that. And, you know, now that we've all, the casting people have become, Union, you know, it's a little different, but I'm in. Yeah. What do you need? And the good news is I have not had many people released, also known as fired. So I'll go to a set just, again, if it's, if it's Buddy Buddy and you want to see Billy Wilder Ugh. and IAL Diamond and Lemon and out. yeah, turn in. I'm in. <laughs> I'm going. Right. You know, there are those sets. Of course. Uh, Saturday Night Fever. with John's dancing. Fern in. Hi, John. I'm here, you know. So come on. Barry Miller's jumping off the Verrazano. Fern's in. It's two in the morning. We're at White Castle. I'm in. So, yeah. And, and, and Cameron, you want to be dancing? I got your back, Cameron, because you're a new person. Naked Gun, Leslie Nielsen putting whoopee cushions on all the new actors. I'm oh, in. That's what Leslie would do.
0: That's
1: Whoever started that day, he put a whoopee cushion on their director's chair. <laughs> so how could I not be in? Yeah, these are icons. You know, people say to me, "Oh my God, Fern, you're a legend." No, well, okay. Um, you know, just don't call me. Um, um. What do they call me? Um, a veteran. I go, don't ever don't say that say word. That's a no, 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 You got to lose that. So uh, are you kidding? Uh, look at my resumes. You'll know, though, I'll go to Cheech and Chong when they do a table read. Yeah. And they give a studio a, a BS script because they were all improv. And they had a smoke a really good bowl before you'd get on that. They had the best smoke. Clean smoke. Oh, they and they ate clean food, too. Their food in the 90s, it was clean. Wow. When I say clean, they were vegans at that point. They had no bad food, no bad smoke. But when they would come to a table read the suits, it was a BS script. And these guys and women with ties, and we all knew it was a BS script, but it was just like, Oh yeah, it's good it's good, Tommy. Yeah, good cheat. And it was such we'd go nice, and then we and then Tommy would say, I'll be in my trailer, everybody meet, let's go over and let's just get high and go shoot a movie. Wow. And they had they had and Tommy and Cheech, there was
0: nobody better. There was nobody better. No, I agree. That's wild. Fun? Yeah, that's wild. They wrote a dummy script. just for them to read. And that's Uh great. Of course. Of course. Not only that,
1: people would say, I don't see the movies funny. I said, do you get high? Do you smoke? And they go, well, no. And I go, that's your point. That's my point. It's not for you. My sons, you know, when they became of the age and they're in college and my name's on a one sheet and all their friends would be going,
0: your mom. (laughs) And I went, I'm proud of
1: it too. Yeah. I am.
0: Like you Heck said, yeah, they're, they're they're funny. But I think what's great about their movies, there's so many. Like me and my wife love all the Chi-Chi Chang movies, but the other people are funny in it. So the writing, like the girl doing the in Up and Smoke when the girl does the line of Clorox and just her <laughs> reaction to it, and it doesn't have to be them. There's some. Comedy people, I'm not going to name any names, but you'll watch their movie and they have all the best jokes. Everything's great for them. And then these other actors have these crap lines that seem like they're just like written down in a second, you know, they cared about everyone. But, but not only
1: that, Tommy and Cheech, we'd sit at the, at the groundlings. And again, this was the first group up of the groundlings ever, you know, now there's, you know, new people and, 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 and new companies, but we had the first company. And and they really, you know, they brought Pee Wee Paul to life. Yeah. We would go to the Midnight Show, but that was the Pee Wee Herman show. Nobody knew who that little boy was, so to speak, but they needed the improv actors because they had no scripts. So they needed people that they could play with so that's why they knew their talent had to be good
0: yeah right the improv is the best uh, lance kinsey he directed a movie like six years ago and he purposely he had a shoestring budget because he funded it himself and he just got all the people from uh from the groundlings and from ucb so they can get it done quick they shot it in like the 13 days and he was buddies with john goodman from when they used to do dinner theater in like the late 70s 80s like up and down like places in ohio so he had him have like a small role in it but no that's what it's about like
1: there's different kinds of humor there's different kinds of drama yeah you know there really is there you know so i think the casting person has probably really one, I think, this is me bullshitting, has one of the most difficult jobs. Agreed. Totally. Um, I, I, and there are many times that we make mistakes because we're we're blown over by the, the reed in the room and then it doesn't continue. You know, so we're only human. Although actors look like humans, I'm not quite sure. <laughs>
0: But I just think about just looking at like your movies and the people I, like just off the top of my head, I could probably name 20 people that it was like you like even ones that only had not like they didn't have long careers, but that they were like the like, I would say like Judy Aronson for like three, mm, four or yeah. five years. She was in like so many movies, like big movies, big comedies, yeah. Gutenberg, like so many people. Goot and I are still pretty close. We really are. I'm I'm
1: still close with all the police accounts. That's great. And, you know, and G W is a bud. You know, he that he's he's in, he's a wonderful, wonderful, insane Southern kind of man. I mean, he's the best. He's the best. You know, it's it's something about comedians because they they hide behind that. When we did Sergeant Pepper, and um, again, all we had were the songs. So now go fit the songs with an actor. So, I mean, who's going to be Sergeant Pepper? Hmm. Who else? It's got to be George Burns. Who else could be Sergeant Pepper? He was God. Of course he can be Sergeant. You know, hmm. Who could be crazy? Dr. Maxwell. Now there was a new comic that was on Johnny Carson and he had, and you're trying to think who played, I don't know if you have am no. I'm trying movie. to
0: think, no, because I always confuse the movies for some reason because there was the one in the mid seventies that like Eddie Deason was in like a few other up and coming actors. No, the, no.
1: That was Surf 2. I did that, that terrible Surf 2 movie. But <laughs> I mean, Sergeant, no, I, I, you know, I've had some fun movies, but Sergeant Pepper, who's going to play? Who's going to play crazy Dr. Maxwell, right? Bang, bang, so I'm watching Johnny Carson one night and he's got a new comic on and this guy has an arrow in his head oh. and to Steve Martin. Oh my god, that's great. And Stephen became my crazy Dr. Maxwell. And there was nobody better. So, you know, yeah, I found that one too. <laughs> I didn't find other people did. I just happened to put them in front of the the cameras. <laughs> so, you know, I like, I, I like my, my comedy and I like my cowboys and I like my, uh, my movies. I do. I,
0: I just I love do. the stories about, uh, like, I think in like being a casting director, the stories of how people came to be I'm sure writers can have their kind of thing, like how you came up with the script, but like the fact that you're watching Johnny Carson, and you're like, Boom. Bam. Well, certifiable. I mean, he
1: was wild. He was nuts. (laughs) In a good way, you know. But, you know, Rich Jenny, who was in the the mask, who's passed. Yeah. Um, Rich was not a happy man. You know, he really wasn't. Comics, many of them, I don't want to say unhappy, but some are. They hide behind that mask. Sometimes it's good to hide behind humor. Yeah. It keeps you going.
0: And like sometimes you, it's tough. Yeah, like you said, the last 15, 18 months, that's all we had. Was right. humor. Yeah. So the last question for this has been amazing. What, what is it? Obviously, it's the same thing. You're casting TV and movies. But is there like a a difference between the two, like an approach? I think it's it's changed now. But you
1: still have people at a network. Um, you know, we always tease uh, too many chefs, not enough guests. There are many times so many people are making a decision. And again, what we were saying, each project is different. Yeah. Whether or not it's film or television. If you have a, a television show with a big producer, your network is not going to get involved to a fault. They're not going to have to have final say on casting, it, but it all depends. Yeah, that's true. If you're working on a shoestring budget and the studio's giving you money, you've got no say. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, so it's all relative on who's conducting the orchestra. Who's that director? Who did you bring into the project? Is it a well-known name? Then you're okay. You're protected <laughs> by I use the term "suits," because it's a term that we've all grown up. Oh with. yeah. You know, so whether or not it's network
0: or studio, it depends on the project. On the project, no. It's funny.
1: The bigger but, they are, the bigger they are.
0: Yeah, just looking at your like TV, just like throw the movies out. It's like Mama's Family, Friday the Thirteenth. The series, which was like, just like the Freddy's, you know, the same, not the same exact concept, but like Freddy's Nightmares. All these people were thinking they're tuning in in the beginning, like, oh, this is Friday the 13th. But it was more like a Twilight Zone-ish, different stories every week.
1: Absolutely. You you know, it's everything is different. That's that's the excitement to me. Things have to be different. Mickey Rourke, you brought up Mickey's name before we could not make a deal. They were having difficulty making a deal with Bruce to play the lead. Uh, and, and I started reading people and Mickey Rourke walked into the room. He was Robert De Niro to me. He was De Niro, not Mickey today. And I would just work with Mickey again last year. Oof, that was odd. But, um, and again, I speak to Mickey from time to time at 2 AM. All of a sudden I'll get a call, but anyway, um, So Mickey came in to read and the director at the time, this is the story was eating a sandwich and Mickey stopped reading and Mickey looked at him and I'll, I'll 86 the world. I won't because you're not going to read. He said, you're either going to put your fucking sandwich down or I leave. And I I sort of looked at this unknown. I went, I love you. How dare you be eating you pig. Listen to my act. Yeah. Anyway, cut to they weren't going to make Mickey the lead until, you know, they made the deal. And I said, you can't let this man go. So Mickey became his best friend. Oh. And, but Mickey would have been insane in the lead. He really would have. Yeah, he's pretty great, Mickey. Uh, you know, he's gone to a whole other ozone. I'm not sure. But, you know, listen. I never said that I play safe.
0: Yeah, no, you have to think outside. Like I when I interviewed Eric Robertson's wife, I we talked about Popa Grinch Village, and he said they still have like a connection. And then I was reading I was reading somewhere Mickey was like, I really hope because I guess they have such a tight thing from that movie. Because even Mickey, when he was getting interviewed after like the wrestler, like that was like his resurgence, he was like <laughs> right. talking about Eric. During this interview, right. he was like, I hope Eric has a movie like this so he can have the spotlight like that. Because you yeah. gotta think that movie, it just like changed everything. And you even look at him, he looks totally different. It's different. totally different. Yeah.
1: <laughs> And you know something, I, you know, I always use the term sexy, ugly. He was a sexy, ugly guy. He was menacing. He was charismatic. Nine and a half weeks. Are you kidding me? Yeah. I mean, right? Nine and a half weeks, right? That was his movie with Kim, Mickey's. Is it nine, nine and a half? half. I think so. Yeah, yeah, nine and a half weeks. Yep. Nine and, a half, nine and a half. But handsome, wild, insane. But then he started, you know, whatever. Yeah. Uh, listen, women do it to their faces, so you know you can't put him down. He just looks like ridiculous
0: no sometimes. he's unique he's, he's memorable do you have any other one before do you have any other ones like that that people like came in and did because i love those stories danny devito jersey guy when he told the story on so he was on like mark Barron and his story about his audition for taxi is the best mm-hmm. when he walked in and said who wrote this shit and he threw the script and walked out seriously yeah i think that's great and then that whoever was in there, I don't know if it was, I don't know if he said the casting director, producer, director, like ran down the hallway and they're like, go get that guy.
1: Immediately, if not sooner. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know this, you know, again, all the police academies and I've given you a yeah, couple yeah. of the tips. I really have. You know, Matt Barr walking, well, I don't know how funny these are, but Matt Barr who played Kevin's son, he brought in for his pre-read a picture at eight years old when he met Kevin. And he said, I want to play his son. And I said, what did you Photoshop this? And he said, no. He said, but I'm going to play his son in this. And I got to tell you something. I I took that as, okay, I got this. It's the casting gods. And we brought Matt all the way through. Bam, Matt was... Yeah, that's like a good story. That's awesome. That really, really is a good story. You know, but in all of my actors, I got to tell you, working with Bill Paxton, it was nothing uh, better. You know, the best. I on and but the ladies that I worked with, it's just phenomenal. I I've had some good times. I really have. Cameron being my son's. Bar Mitzvah date. That's the best story. And everybody thought she was a lookalike. That was hysterical. That's well, sure. And we did it up at Universal. And it was the theme. And it was huge. It was big. It was great. You know, Chris Christofferson doing Texas Rising. And, 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 and I flew first class with Chris Christofferson. There's no better. We got off the plane. And, and, and the fellow went to take his guitar case. And he just looked at the guy. Like, touch it and I'll kill you. Right? And he said, I got my own. And then he sang me and Bobby McGee. I love Right, right, right. All that, you know, work. Oh, here's a funny story. I did Tony Braxton's story. Tony's the producer. Leah Daniels and myself. Leah used to be my associate. Leah And I, Leah Daniels, butler, is one of my BFFs. Wow. Oh, yeah, Leah, Leah, you know. So Tony and and Leah, I used to say to them, so I'm like the middle of this Oreo cookie. I got this. I'm good. So we're in the middle of readings, and Leah says to me, and um, I have to go to the ladies' room, Fern. Do me a favor. Read with the next actor. I said, you're not going to do this to the white kid, are you? I said, I'm going to be reading this. And she said, Fern, stop it. You've been reading for years. You'll be great. Leah walks out. So Tony's in the room. I've got this other, I've got this black guy on my left. I've got Craig Baumgarten who manages Tony white Jew on the other side. I got me and, and, and this black guy next to me. So the girl comes in. I don't even introduce them because Tony said, I don't want to get them nervous. Don't introduce me. And so we sit down and we start to read. Well, all of a sudden the dude next to me, I feel his shoulders are going up and down and up and down. I said, excuse me. I said, are you laughing? He said, you're Reed. I said, it's really shit, right? I said, could you do me a favor? And I said to the actress, I said, could you just go outside for a minute? I'm so sorry. So she walked out, right? And I looked at the dude and I said, I know. it. I told Leah I'm really bad, but I don't think we've met. Who are you? He said, I'm baby face. And Tony <laughs> and Greg broke up and I went. How stupid do you think I look? <laughs> she said, I thought you just knew me by my face. <laughs> I said, uh, God, I, and Leo walked in. She goes, how do you not know it's him? <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's a funny story, too.
0: That's great.
1: But uh, I have good times with my actors. I do. I really, truly do.
0: Yeah. You have to love them, you know, because you have to know like the ins and outs. I think that's the most fascinating thing because you have to know. And I think that's so cool. I was going to ask that question before, but you answered it uh, a little while back that you never had an actor release from a film. And that is a testament to you, not even only being great at what you do, but choosing the right people to associate yourself with.
1: Um, it was one. And it was the lead on Full House. Yeah, it's written up about, and, and the network got written, we brought about in.
0: Look at that face. Is it somebody I would know? Yeah, look him up. I will. And if he can't find it, yeah. Well, I'm sure, wait, was it shot? Was the pilot shot with him or no? Um, I think they might have shot, you know,
1: did they reshoot anything? Was he
0: fired? I uh, I think they might have shot. I have to look for it because I I just saw the other day the Always Sunny in Philadelphia pilot that I never knew about. Without uh, I can't think of her name, the blonde girl, uh, Max' wife in real life, but I never okay. knew that there was another uh, person.
1: Yeah, listen, when you said Mama's family, at the ripe old age of I think nine or ten, I hired this young actor. And he did a table read. And I always tell my actors perform at a table read. Otherwise you can't get fired. If your network looks at you and, and they think you're flat and they fired this little boy, that for many years since we're still pretty friendly, Kevin Connolly says to me, you fired me at nine years old.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's great.
1: He said, you fired me. <laughs> I mean, we'll be at the bar at tennis. He said, do you know who she is? She fired me. I was nine years old. Kevin. I I think he
0: did fine. I I think it worked out for him. (laughs) He just did fine, right?
1: Absolutely. So that's what that's all about.
0: Uh, Fern, you are awesome. And you're not a veteran. I would say you're a champion. I love your last name. That is like the coolest last name. Not bad, right? Both of them are. It's fitting for you. I appreciate it. Well, thank you for taking the time.
1: If you can't find out who got fired, I'm.
0: No, I'm going to look it up because I think that's something I'll do as soon as we're done. (laughs) Go down that rabbit hole. Let me know. I will. Have a great day. I appreciate it.
1: Yeah, stay cool.
0: Man, wasn't for an awesome. So that guy who played the actor, I didn't really know him for much. I've seen his face around, but the original Danny Tanner was John Posey. But man, that story stories about Mickey Rourke and that audition. And the guy's like, Hey, you're going to keep eating that. Oh, so many amazing stories. And just hearing the way she has to tell it. And I just love her confidence and uh, give me the business in the beginning of the interview. So much fun. So again, your homework Friday the 13th, you only have a few days. You'll only have a few days because so a jam packed Friday the 13th week, To watch Final Chapter, Chris Egan, our horror expert, is finally going to get to do one of the big four of the horror franchises. So don't forget to review, rate, share our podcast, follow us on all social media at sequelsonly, and don't forget to check out our website, sequelsonly.com. Good night.